business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. On today's podcast, I had the opportunity to interview Jason Bueller of RoboSource. He, I've known him for a while. He's a, a friend and, and we've known each other through an organization called Truth at Work. So I, I know him professionally as well as personally. And I can tell you, he is probably one of the smartest people I've ever, ever plowed into. And so today we're going to be talking about automation and what that means for a seller to sell the company or a buyer that may be buying the company and how to maximize that in, that investment. <clears throat> he talked a lot about, you know, where to identify those opportunities to, to automate the business. So I am certain that you will get a lot from this episode. So enjoy my conversation with Jason Butler of <clears throat> RoboSource. Welcome to another episode of the How to Sell a Business podcast. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I help business owners identify what creates value in their companies so that one day that they can sell at maximum value. Today, I have a good buddy of mine, uh, Jason Bueller from RoboSource. So Jason, tell us a little bit about RoboSource and not too long because I got lots of questions for you. <laughs> so, thanks, Ed. Uh, so RoboSource is a, a process automation company. We basically help businesses uh, automate mundane, repetitive tasks within their business uh, to maximize their time. Uh, and uh, and get their people working on things that are more important, strategic to the business. Well, as I was saying, when we first got started, um, you know, there's so much here. And I guess I, I'm looking first, define automation for everybody. So automation is essentially taking the work out of a human's hands. So letting the computer do uh, the task that needs to be accomplished. So uh, it can be simple things uh, such as uh, one of our clients uh, puts invoices into QuickBooks and they need to classify those invoices by salesperson. So instead of having a human go through and classify that, the computer automates that process and does that for them. Okay. So, so from the, from the standpoint of, that automation, because like I, I was telling you, I was beating up on one of our guys here today on you and I had uh, an opportunity to work together and I couldn't sell it to my partners. I, it just that they were just they were just fearful of of what this meant and, to the business and the risk associated with it. So where we ended up with was offshoring a lot of what we were talking about with automation. So, so I know like Zapier and if this, if this, then that I, I, yeah. and, and then you have your custom work. And then in our case, you know, offshoring, it seems to, is that kind of the, 
the the life cycle of automation that okay I I I I'm scared to automate so I'm going to hire somebody at a lower cost and then I'm going to back into automation because I, I at least I th- I think that is our trajectory you know what I mean that yeah. uh, good and I would say a lot of a lot of companies are doing that so um, let's talk specifically about the different kinds of automation so there are three specific kinds. Uh, and, um, and RoboSource does all of them, but, but so to start with first, we've got the traditional software. So traditional software is what we've been doing since like the fifties, right? It's building software that manages data and processes and helps you sort of automate the day to day. That's where the warehouse systems, the ERPs, all of those came about. That was a form of automation and it's still something that's done a lot today. Okay. The second and more recent form of automation that's come about are these low code and no code tools, tools that you talked about, the okay. Zapiers, the if this, then that, the Microsoft Make or Power Automate platforms. Those tools are essentially drag and drop so that you don't have to have any concept on how to code, uh, but you can still kind of automate and, and build in. They, they operate off of triggers. So if something happens in one system, it will trigger this automation to happen and do something from there. So you could say, watch an inbox for an incoming email and trigger it to do something for you. I got it. The, the last form of automation is what's referred to as robotic process automation. And that's a, a, a very new technology that's come about where essentially you can mimic clicking on a desktop the way that a human would click on the desktop. So uh, if a human can click on buttons and move around, uh, on a website or an application, you now can write a, a software bot that will automate that for you. So I say all of that to say, in answering your question around um, how do we have these conversations and what's the trajectory of adopting automation, is most people already are adopting automation in some way, shape, or form because they're using software. It's a traditional form of software. It's an area that they feel comfortable because we've spent the last 20 years looking at it and, and dealing with the, that kind of automation. Where people get uncomfortable is when they see it doing, where they see the the bot clicking on the buttons for a human. That's when they start to think, "Ooh, what is the? Where are humans making decisions that a, that I would be uncomfortable having a bot make a decision?" And the problem is most people don't know that. Uh, they don't know the decisions that are being made uh, that a human's being made when they're clicking those buttons, and as a result. Uh, they get a little bit uncomfortable. And so that's really where I start in those conversations is, is digging into what are the real decisions that are being made when you're clicking these buttons? Yeah. Give me, give me an example of that because, uh, and you can, and I, I'm totally transparent. You can, you can beat up on us all, all you want. I mean, when we were talking, I'm sitting here going, all right, I, I can see it, but am I willing to risk it? You know what I mean? I can see what you're talking yeah. about, but am I willing to, to put our, you know, in this case, you know, we, we were talking about inbound confidentiality agreements. We get about a thousand, a thousand a, a month and we're using DocuSign and this, that, and the other. And it's like, okay, I, am I, <laughs> what's the risk and how do I, how do I understand, you know, what you're talking about as far as the bot doing what it does to get, to replace, you know, the, the person that is, physically doing it for us now. So how do I get yeah. comfortable with that? So uh, some of it is just mindset, right? The, the reason you're comfortable having a human do that is because you trust a human's decision-making process. What's interesting mm-hmm. is the bot mm-hmm. is going to make the same decision every time uh, because it's software. So there are rules going to be a, a, a defined around that that are going to have the bot make the same decision. 
it's just uncomfortable for us because we're not used to it. And, okay. and this is the transition that's happening, I think, in the 20s right now, is they're starting to become more and more comfort with the fact that computers can actually make the decisions that humans have been making on issues like what you're dealing with. And so at the end of the day, the, those NDAs are, are vital to your organization and your business. It's like a, a cornerstone yeah. of what you're doing. Having a human click that button gives you a sense of warm fuzzies that you know someone had to sit there and make the right decision. <clears throat> you're right. I, but but at the same time, I mean, after I, after I hear you say that, I'm like, that is such a, I mean, nice guy that's doing it. But, you know, I'm sitting here going, well, <laughs> I mean, because I, I can't remember what the savings was. It was like, I mean, it was probably, I don't know, he's 10 bucks an hour or whatever doing all the processing. And I can't remember what what the the financial mechanics were, but it was about a 95% savings. I think yeah, something probably. like that. And, and I'm, and so hearing myself say this, I'm like, Oh my gosh. You know, but you're totally right. And, and I, I just wanted, I wanted to feel better about the decision. Like if there was a problem, that guy was going to call me. And I'm afraid with a bot that the whole damn place falls apart before I know it. And right. And so how, how does that work? You know, how, how, where's, where's the, where's the, uh, tripwire to prevent my, you know, my infrastructure to fall apart? Yeah. So, uh, when looking at automation, one of the first things you want to look at is what happens on the, in the, what we call the non happy path, right? What happens in the exception cases? And really, that's where we plan our automations around is, uh, we know that the, the happy path is going to, that's going to work. But what happens when it's not following that? So that's how you build the, the process. That's where you want to make sure you've got the automation defined. Um, so in this instance, it would have been like, here are the boundaries. Here, here are the, the scenarios where if it falls within the, these boundaries, we're going to go ahead and send out the NDA because we feel confident that we're, we're uh, operating effectively. If it's outside of this range, either there's some form of maybe AI decision-making we can go through to come to a better decision or we're going to send it to a human to click the button for us. Okay. Because not all automation has to be 100% hands-off. Uh, and, and I think that's yeah. another area that, that people yeah. don't understand is that you can maybe, you know, the 80-20 rule applies here. How much more time would you get if, if we could get rid of 80% of the scenario and you only have to deal with 20% of it? No, you're you're right. I mean, you're you're totally you're totally right. But at the same time, I'm I'm looking at it from, um, like in our process, we were the NDA came in. All right, RoboSource was going to write the NDA to our CRM, but but that's where it stopped because we had you know 16 people that now have to you know whose client does that belong to. And, and that's where the rub was, was how does the, the bot know? And now after I've gotten away from it, you were like, well, simple. You just see whose client was tagged and you're off to the races. Um, and yeah. then it, then it'll, it'll do it for you. So, and, and that leads my, to my next question of, you know, how, how much of a process can this be automated? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at like, 
I mean, how many steps is a typical automation? You know? So we've done automations that are as small as two to three steps, uh, just because they do them in high volume. To we've done automations that have as many as about 400 steps. Um, and so that's more on the mortgage side. Uh, and we've also done some work uh, on, with a, a nonprofit of processing incoming transcripts where they're extracting content out of a, a high school transcript and putting it into a system and running them through some, some approval processes. So um, th- those are, those are massive processes that are, you know, uh, very long running, potentially running three, four months even. Okay. So, so the bot, you just said a bot is scanning a transcript and extracting the paragraph. What, what, what are they extracting? It's extracting the semester, the class, and the grade, as well as the grade point average, what oh. school they went to. I got it. I got it. So, but it's not like reading the, the, like the essay, you know, and, and pulling oh, out. No. I got it. I got it. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so one of the biggest reasons I wanted you on here was, you know, we have the the baby boomers that are looking to sell businesses and and they're you know you hear it all the time and the challenge we have is a lot is coming from the other side the buyers are looking at it on hey i want a really well operated business but at the same time i got to figure out not only how i get my money back you know, from the acquisition, but how do I grow this? How do I, and, and, and they're finding good companies and that's part of the problem. I, when I say problem, that's part of the challenge is from the buy side. It's like, okay, I want a really good company, but at the same time, I don't want to, I'm trying to elongate a business that is perhaps on the mature side of the company life cycle from the seller side. I'm sitting here saying, okay, if I have enough runway, I want to put some of this in so I so so I can maximize not, not only the earnings pre-sale, but also it's already set up for the next guy. So, I mean, how if I'm you can look at it both ways. Well, you from my standpoint, I think I would look at it from the buyer standpoint. When I'm looking at a business, how do I? Look at automation. Are there industries that are ripe for it? Are there you know, processes that, you know, this is the low lying fruit that you can have immediate value impact? Yeah. Talking to that specifically, I have a client that ended up selling their business uh, in the industry they were in. Uh, and the, the reason being is there was a, a, a PE firm that was coming in and looking to buy something in their industry. And yeah. uh, because we'd been working with them, their overhead was 35% less than their competitors. Uh, and sure. they got, they got sucked up as a result of it. Um, sure. and, uh, he, he had a pretty good exit. So, uh, it, it is something that's, that's of a lot of value, right? And, and you can create, uh, scenarios, uh, where the automation is actually a differentiator. Uh, I think, you know, from the, from the buy standpoint, the things that I would be looking for are places where there is, uh, human repetitive action. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, computers are going to be better at that. Like computers are really good at doing repetitive tasks. That's, that's what they're made to do. And so if we're seeing things where people are taking paper and keying it into systems or people are having to key in two or three different systems, 
which is common. I run into that probably three or four times a week uh, where, you know, we've got to put it into our inventory system, our CRM and our ERP in some way, shape or form, our finance system. Um, so we're literally putting the same client in three different places. Those are areas where you're going to see a lot of uh, automation opportunities uh, show up very quickly. And you're going to save quite a bit of time and money off of that. So, so then it begs the question, the question, what, what do I deploy? Like, for example, I'm like, I, I'm a Mac guy. I have, um, text expander. I've got little, uh, this thing called Hazel that moves my files and stuff like that. When, when does it, when do you say, you know what? I need custom. I need, I need somebody to come in, evaluate and like build this thing out as opposed to, you know what? I, <laughs> I think I'm going to try this Zapier thing. I'm going to click on it and, and here's my trigger and, you know, here's the next step, you know, but it's just one, you know, one step. Um, so how do I, how do I, I don't want to say work with someone like you, but how, how do I know, what I don't know, because I, truly most people don't have no clue about this stuff. You know? Yeah. So tools like Zapier are extremely powerful and they do make it available for uh, individuals who don't understand necessarily all the intricate behind the scenes working of a computer to be able to do some basic automations. It's when you start to get into the more complex decision making processes that you're probably going to want to bring in somebody who understands uh, automation is the intersection between uh, data business and software. Um, you, you've got to understand data analytics, which gets into artificial intelligence. You got to understand how to build software because at the end of the day, a computer is going to operate in a different way than a human would operate and understanding how that works makes sense. But if you don't understand business, then automation is, is just going to be a waste of your time. So you're at that intersection point. It, I would say if you're looking, if you're doing automation and you're getting to the point where you're like, wow, there are acronyms coming up that I don't know what they mean. Things like OAuth, things like APIs, like they're starting to show up because I'm trying to do more complicated things. Mm -hmm. That's when you probably want to bring in somebody who's been there. <laughs> I got it. So, and for, <laughs> for somebody like me, mixing and matching like, a robo source with my dabbling of Zapier and stuff like that. That's probably a bad idea, isn't it? Um, th there's some advantage to putting it all into a single location, but there's nothing that's going to keep you from being successful in that environment. So mm. a lot of automations are now operating inside the cloud. Uh, and so, um, and okay. by the cloud, we basically just mean someone else's computer on the internet. So, um, <laughs> I got it. It, which is really all that that's meaning. So huh? as a result, you can use Zapier to do some of your more basic things. And when you get into what we refer to as intelligent automation or hyper automation, where you're really trying to accelerate some things or make some decisions, yeah. you, you might want to send it off to maybe an Azure with a cognitive services behind the scenes. I just went all geeky yeah. on people, but you know, <laughs> so. I, I got it. So, and, and again, my, I, this isn't an, an ad for Zapier, even though it sounds like it. it's, it's more from the standpoint of, all right, um, I just, I don't know what I don't know, but I know, but I, I, I read all this and no, not many people are saying these are the people that will come in, evaluate your process and automate it 
versus, hey, you know, gain five hours to your day by using by using Zapier. So I, yeah. I I'm with you. Um, so so as a one of the things I was right that I was writing about is in business valuation. Recurring revenue is the pinnacle of it's it's pretty high up on the on the value hierarchy. Conversely, if I look at automation, um, I am optimizing basically the engine of of the company. So, so what? Where would I? I know you were saying, you know, you look at, you know, what's a human doing the data entry and so on and so forth. Where I'm assuming accounting is right off the bat. That's probably, you know, cause I heard you mention QuickBooks where, yeah. where else should I be looking? Like, let's just take, take a manufacturing company. Which, where, where am I looking for a manufacturing company? Uh, work orders. So what's that work order process look like? Uh, how's that coming through? Um, we do a lot with purchase orders. Uh, okay. We do a lot on invoice processing. Uh, finance comes up quite often. Uh, okay. And uh, specifically also um, when you start getting into like debt reconciliations across banks, uh, credit card processing across banks, uh, making sure that you're okay. standardizing all those accounts and everything all lines up. That's a lot of manual work that uh, can be automated uh, and those decisions can be made. I got it. I was interviewing um, a, a, a guy that does that optimizes CPA practices. And one of the things that he was saying that was coming down the pike is, is taking a person's tax return, all right, scanning it in, extracting the tax return for for the next guy to do their analysis and i mean i i i assume the irs does something like that already you know that yes. it gets so i mean from a from a procedural standpoint i'm i'm so it is it's looking at the image and it's looking at a particular area and it's extracting what is in that pixel. I mean, what is that how it does it? I mean, (laughs) so that that's uh, hard to explain without getting into the the science behind it all. Um, (laughs) But essentially, yes, that's, that's basically what it's doing is it is looking at the, the image structure and that is, it's an array of pixels, so it's a, it's an array of colors, and it's Thank looking you. at those colors and it's identifying patterns around those. Um, now, something to note on on PDFs is not all PDFs are scans. Uh, okay. A lot of PDFs are actually printed, and that's actually a different underlying structure. Oh, I did. So, um, if, if it's a printed PDF from like an application, and you you print it to file, um, that actually has the text embedded in it, and that text is a lot easier to pull out. That's that's the OCR, right? In that or no? OCR yeah. is going to do is going to work off of the scanned images because that's doing optical character recognition, Uh-oh. and that's yeah. where you're going to take a scan or a picture, and it's going to figure out what the words are, and and that's pretty accurate. But it was going to run into some some issues, right? 
then then I'd say most PDFs that are received these days now are are in QuickBooks. They just you hit print to PDF and it comes out as a, a really pretty formatted PDF. Right. That's actually not a, an image. That's actually a text embedded document that you can go behind the scenes and pull that text out directly. Oh, well, no, I had no idea. So and and, and that's how like your purchase orders, how you're able to do it with purchase orders. I get it. Yes. Okay. So, so everybody gets all shook up about employees that, you know what? I'm replacing robots. The employees are being replaced by robots. Is, is that, I mean, I know it's true, but I'm trying to figure out whether or not that's a bad thing, you know? Yeah, and and one of the thoughts I've had around that recently is, I mean, you've got we've had what recently the Great Resignation, and now we have got Quiet Quitting. Yeah. So we've got our workforce saying, I don't want to do things that I don't feel are important. I, I don't want to work in a place or work on on work that isn't meaningful and impactful. I want I want my day to matter. And and then we say, okay, let's automate some of the meaningless work, and everyone's up in arms about we're replacing jobs. Um, I, I just, I'm not seeing it line up and, uh, I, I see the workforce basically begging to work on more important things. Uh, so why wouldn't we automate away the things that are, uh, basically that they're already saying they don't want to do. Wow. That out of everything you've said, that's probably the most impactful for me. I, because that you're exactly right. Um, you know, if you can take, take away the mundane and give them the opportunity to, yeah, maximize what whatever whether it be creativity or yeah. or whatever. Um, I gotta imagine it'll improve corporate culture and mm-hmm. and retention. Um, yeah, that yeah that that was I I never looked at it that way. That's a that's a great way to look at it. Um, so I'm trying to determine. If I have two businesses, all right, and one has automation, one has, you know, it has people doing it. I'm trying to determine risk. You follow? I, I'm trying. I mean, you're on one side on the on the on the automated side. You're saying, look, I got a I got a bot doing all this. There is no risk. The only risk is it breaking. This side, I have people, and they do break. They do. They make mistakes. But yet, I'm trying to determine if I'm if I'm the buyer looking at the business. Am I intuitively thinking that the business with people is less risky than the automated one? You know what I mean? Like if you have a buyer that shows up and they see the automation. Am I sitting here going, you know, I think I can, I think, I think that's a business for me versus, okay, I got these people. I'm great at managing people. I'm great at, you know, maximizing their efficiency and so on and so forth. I mean, what do you say to that? I mean, that's a hard one. So to me, yeah, it is. And and to me, I guess it comes down to um, how far out you're looking. Hmm. So if you're looking out just a couple of years, then 
then yeah, go with what you're comfortable with. But, you know, if you look back at history and let's just take, you know, Stutz, Studebaker, Duesenberg, they, they could build cars, but they're not around. Why? Because someone came along and made it more efficient and figured out how to do things more efficiently than they were able to do things. And eventually it got to the point where competitively they couldn't keep up. And I guess the, the question I would have is, if you're looking at a business that is primarily people-driven versus one yep. that has a lot of automation driving it, how long out are you looking? Uh, yep. Because if you're looking out long-term, your competitive advantage is going to come with automation. And, and why is that? It's an asset you own. And it's oh. an asset that's scalable. So if, if you need to go twice as fast, it, it's a bot. You literally can push buttons and have it go twice as fast. If you all of a sudden are like, man, I need to scale way back because recession or something's hit, you can push buttons and scale it way back. Uh, you've got flexibility that you wouldn't have with people necessarily. Um, not to say that the people aren't vital because there's the strategic and relational and things that really only people can do that, that you want to make sure you got the right people doing that. But in terms of the day-to-day operations – um, I, I would say it looks. It depends on your yeah. on your duration. You know what? That's a. It's fascinating that you say that because the holding period for a business is tends to be long. And you talk about getting financing to buy companies, and you're talking about a ten year amortization. And you look at if you think about what has transpired in the last ten years, and. I know I can't remember what the term is about technology, how, you know, how fast it's changing. Um, yeah. But there's doubles some, every seven years. Yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, if I'm a buyer, I mean, you're exactly right. I, I'm just as I look at at business owners, especially the ones that are looking to retire, you know, buyers are evaluating, you know, where are they on that life cycle? And and I would imagine that there's a lot of businesses that, you know, aren't marketable because of where they're at in the life cycle as opposed to, hey, I think I can fix this. Now, I'll tell you, there, there's some there's some guys that are rolling up foundries and these guys are I mean, I I. I I love watching what what they're doing, and and that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, the foundries that shit, that business hasn't changed in decades, and they're coming in and just you know retooling it, make it more efficient, economies of scale. You know, those are the type of buyers I think are are probably we're going to see more of over the next you know half a decade or yeah. so. Um. So do you need a like as a vendor it's one thing for me to hire you to fix my stuff it's another thing having somebody on site to be i i called it i'm seeing more and more chief automation officers do i you know do i need that or is an outsourced vendor like yourself adequate you know what i mean yeah i i would say um right now you're not going to find a lot of people that are going to be qualified to be a chief automation officer. Uh, it's a relatively new concept and okay. uh, it is going to be a unique skill set as we talked earlier about that blend between data analytics and AI, having software development background and process orientation, but also having enough business acumen to know how to uh, automate and run the, run the business. Um, 
So what I find works best is to take the AI and software component and outsource that, but keep the business acumen in-house. So take a subject matter expert, uh, somebody operationally that understands what's going on and partner them with somebody like, like us that can provide the technical oversight and okay. the technical uh, aspects. Um, most businesses uh, will have some form of technology on staff, but not necessarily the automation technology. Uh, and, and these days you don't need it to be in-house. You can leave that outsourced. Okay. Uh, per- personally, I think you'll be better served that way uh, because you'll, you'll be able to get some economies of scale off of that. But um, So with a, a partnership between your in-house uh, subject matter expert and outsourced or out uh, or, or consultative help on the technology front, uh, I think you can accomplish the, the technology and the support of it in a very effective manner without having to go bring in a, a chief automation officer, which is frankly going to increase all your infrastructure costs as well. I got it. Well, so I'm certain every buyer that is listening to this is going to say, what are the industries that are ripe for me to go target? You know, and and you said, you know, those that are heavy in paper, but are, are you seeing, you know, are there any particular businesses or industries or, you know, the types of businesses that I know you said paper heavy, but any industries that come to mind that if I'm a buyer, you know, because you may be a buyer, Jason, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, where where are you looking to 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 buy? Uh, right now, the clients I'm running into the most often are uh, insurance. Uh, mortgage is actually coming up all the time right now. Uh, I'm running into mortgage applications and mortgage underwriting uh, almost daily uh, okay. on that front. Uh, so those are two areas that I'm hitting often. Uh, banking is starting to show up a lot more, uh, though they do have more of kind of their internal uh, systems sure. that they're able to run on. The other one I'm hitting is healthcare. Uh, healthcare billing. Really? Um, it is, it is a, a the wild west out there and okay. uh, the opportunity to standardize and automate on that is, is huge. I also heard HOAs. So um, mm-hmm. that was, that was one that kind of caught me by surprise. I didn't think of that. Um, in my research for our talk, um, anything, it seems as though a lot of people, anything that has an application, like like a, like an application, whether you know some use Google Forms and that will bring it in. Others, yeah. you know, you know, especially like apartments, and you know mm-hmm. where somebody comes in and actually fills out an application. Um, those are are um, are you know are are candidates. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about manufacturing. CPAs are are definitely trying yeah. to automate. Um, yeah, so th- that's that's really interesting. Um, so you said something earlier about you own you own the this process, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it have to be updated? How do and what's the security? How do I protect? You know, it like like whatever open source, all right. You know that's open to the to the world, right? So, right. I have this proprietary. I engage you. I have a proprietary process. How do I protect that? And is it really mine or is it yours? 
So the, the process is yours. Um, that being said, it is implemented inside of a piece of software. So um, most of these these tools nowadays are built inside of tools. You'll hear of things called like UiPath, Blue Prism, uh, Microsoft Power Automate, uh, Logic Apps. There's a whole series of these uh, tools that you will implement the software, uh, implement the automation inside of. So while the process is your intellectual property and how it executes is specific to you, it is somewhat proprietary to the software yeah. that it's been built inside of. Okay. That being said, you could take that software, implement it in another location and move that uh, process into that and have no trouble at all running it. Um, so uh, just to make sure we're clear on that security, uh, that is a challenge. Um, now th there's different kinds, as we talked about the different kinds of automation, right? The, the low code, no code, the traditional software and the RPA uh, RPA security, which is the desktop automation uh, that's a little more straightforward because it's literally logging in like a human would. So it's the same security that you have. If you put a username and password in and navigate a site or navigate an application, that's the way the, the software bot's going to go. So you can control the security the same way you would on a user. When you get into the traditional software and some of the low-code stuff, security gets to be pretty challenging. Um, there are what are referred to as application programming interfaces or APIs. Those have a series of security. They're called tokens. Uh, you use tools like uh, OAuth, which is open authentication, uh, to, to integrate with them all. Um, if you're starting to get into a lot of that, you probably want to call a software guy uh, because you're getting into some pretty uh, low-level uh, security type of things. But uh, those are all built into these tools these days, so you're not having to figure that necessarily figure it out. You just have to know how to implement it. So, so I'm... I'm a consumer and I sit here and go, all right, exactly what does RoboSource do for me? What does a guy like Jason do? Um, you know, it's being protected. So it's, it's design. All right. So I know you're designing it. I know. And I don't know why I'm talking for you. So let, let me turn it over to you. So why, <laughs> what, what is Jason doing in my, in my world? What are you doing for me? So first and foremost is we've built a, a ton of these. So we understand the pitfalls. So when we sit down to work with on a process with you, we're going to essentially know how to make this process operate. Uh, and, and we'll build from that standpoint. Second is build it. Um, most of our clients do not know how to build out software. They don't know the appropriate ways, the best way to, to build that automation. So with our architects and our experience, we build that out for you. So not only do then we plan out how it should look, we build it for you, and then we support it, um, meaning you don't have to worry about it at all. Uh, we just take care of it. Uh, we actually will specifically give you an app that shows you real time what your software bot is doing. Uh, and if anything breaks, we're looking at it. So we're writing software and tools to handle all those scenarios you said earlier, where it's like, I want to know this thing broke before it breaks. Like I want to know, I want to be ahead of it. Sure. We're, we're doing all that. That's, that's the monitoring and systems that we put in place. And that's the platform that we're building out, uh, okay. is to make sure that all that is, is safe and secure and that somebody is looking at it. Uh, we can catch the anomalies before they happen. If something breaks, we got it fixed as quickly as we can, uh, to keep your business up and running. So that's what we're doing on that front is we're essentially providing automation as a service for you. So you don't have to know anything about how to automate. You just have to know that you've got something that you want automated uh, and we'll take the, take it from there. And and if I'm not mistaken, you're, how you get paid is based on the automate, the, the 
event, right? The right. Correct. I got it. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's similar to electricity. We scale by usage. Okay. <laughs> so. Okay. I get it. So have you, have you done any studies on the ROI to this stuff? I, I, knowing you, you probably have. So, so what kind of ROI should someone expect by, by doing it? So um, the ROI that we've seen, let, let's kind of break down how the costs look. Typically, there's an upfront cost um, that comes into building out the process in some way, shape, or form. Similar to if you were to onboard somebody, you're going to have an upfront training cost, right? Right. Getting up to speed. Uh, you're going to have that same type of cost with getting the software built or getting the, the automation built. Um, after that, then there is uh, sort of the monthly recurring usage-based fees yep. that come out of it. Uh, what we've seen is is we're saving anywhere between thirty five and fifty percent from a from a human um, on on that monthly recurring level. Depending upon the automation, it can get as high as like eighty ninety percent, but conservatively, we're saying between thirty five and fifty. So, given that, what I see across most of my clients is about a six month uh, payback period, uh, six to nine months at the most uh, in year one. But remember that includes the implementation fee. So by year two, your savings are ten are, are phenomenal, um, yeah. and so we're seeing uh, in the second year you're often spending a quarter of what you were the year before. I got it. All right, I want to be sensitive to your time. So at the end of every episode, I always ask, you know, what's the one piece of advice that that you could give our listeners that would make the most immediate impact on their business? Go ahead. I dare you to say automate. <laughs> um, I mean, along those along those lines, though, right? Uh, I guess I would say busy is the new broke. So yeah. when you're broke, you don't have enough money to focus on and to put towards the things you should, let alone the things you want to do. Mm. Uh, same is true when you're busy. So if you're busy, you don't have enough time to focus on the things you should be focusing on, let alone the things that you want to be focusing on. I get it. And you really only have two options. Uh, you can delegate and you can automate. Um, th those are your only two options in order to get your time back. Uh, and really, at the end of the day, time is the resource we're managing uh, as business owners mm -hmm. and business leaders. So um, I, I guess automation is a new thing. You need to learn it. It's it's half your solution. Uh, it, it's yeah. half the, the possible solutions that are out there. Uh, and I, I think that's a, an important aspect and something to think about. That's yeah, I, you're exactly right. I mean, and I, and, and I really appreciate how, how you look at that, that it, it really, this is, this is not so much about cost as it is about time, you know? And right. I get it. Um, so what's the best way that we can find you? Uh, website, robosource.us. Uh, you can always uh, email me at uh, jason.butler at robosource.us. Um, and, uh, and then uh, my phone number as well. Uh, okay. And we'll have that. We'll have all of that in the show notes. So it's okay, great. Super easy. All right. Oh, buddy. Well, you know, thanks for taking the time. I, I you know, I, I know, I know this is the, the future and, and I know we, I've, been following along for quite some time about you know buyers and what's make what's inducing them to buy businesses and so you know I am so grateful for you know your generosity to spend some time with us today and and 
talk about how how we can make businesses either more marketable or post sale how to how to maximize the buy. So thanks so much for hanging out with me. Hey, it was fun. I appreciate it, Ed, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved.